Good morning. Oh, come on. Good morning. Boom. There we, there we go. Come on. All right. Man, it's good to be with you. Uh, all right, so next week we, we start our series in Acts. Just want to tell you, we got, we got a few more of these scripture journals out in the foyer on the, uh, on the Welcome Center. So if you're interested, $4. It's got the text. It's also got space to write lots of notes and observations and prayers and so on and so forth. So I want to encourage you towards that. All right, well, let's get into James. Go to, go to the James's letter. It was way back at the end of the New Testament. James chapter 4. James chapter 4 is what we're looking at this morning. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. All right, follow along with me as I read our passage. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. So our passage is about making plans. We're, we're all making plans. We all got our to-do list. We're all syncing our calendars together. And, and isn't, it, isn't it wonderful that God's common grace is that we have these things in our pockets on our phones? And we're constantly fiddling, are we not? And checking in and make sure we haven't missed something, something hasn't fallen through the crack. Uh, years ago, Lauren and I finally decided we had to sync our calendars. That was years ago before we, man, we're all making plans. We're all making plans. Most of us in this Northern Virginia rat race would just get crushed if we didn't plan things out and schedule things out. There's pressure to have a plan, is there not? What, what college you're going to go to, what career you should have, planning for the next promotion, planning for future retirement, making sure that thing's on track. We're all making plans. Even if it's just week to week or day to day, we're making plans. And making plans isn't a bad thing. The Bible commends making plans. The the issue is, the issue is, are we making plans with God in view or just ourselves? Are our plans so, so tightly packed that there is no room for God's plan? James reveals that in our planning, there's this, this cosmic battle raging in our hearts. Whose will will be done? Will we, will we submit to the will of King Jesus, or will we rise up against him in, in treason and mutiny? Now, the battle is often seen when our plans get interrupted. Right? It's, it's in those moments of interruptions that our hearts are exposed by how we respond. The, the parent who plans to get somewhere on time uh, to only arrive late because of a, a diaper snafu, their heart will be exposed by how they respond. The employee who puts together the proposal is only be told last minute of significant adjustments causing everything to be thrown off. The young adult who makes big plans for college or career only to find those plans dashed. The plan engagement that gets called off. The way that we enter into plans 
either with God in view or just ourselves, is often revealed in how we respond to our plans getting disrupted. So James has some wisdom for all of us to-do list makers and schedule keepers. It is this, wise Christians strategically make plans while humbly submitting to God's will. So James contrasts two ways to make plans. There's the, the foolish way and there's the, there's the wise way. The former makes plans in self-reliance on our own wisdom, our own abilities, our own desires, while the latter still makes plans while also submitting to God's will. Of course, James commends the latter. Wise Christians strategically make plans while humbly submitting to God's will. All right, so we're going to look at these two ways of making plans. We're going to start off with the the, the way of folly here. Got these in your notes. First point here, folly, pridefully making plans in view of self-reliance. This is verses 13 through 14 and also verse 16. Let's reread verse 13. Come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now many of us are familiar with this verse and this passage and so we know where James goes with this thing. But I wonder if we had fresh eyes and we read verse 13 again, will we, will we have the same assessment that James does? Will, will we say what he says in verse 16? He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Will we read verse 13, if we had fresh eyes and say, ooh, that is arrogant? I suspect we wouldn't. But listen, our speech often reveals our hearts and it often betrays what we truly believe. James says, you who say we will travel, we will spend a year there, we will do business, we will make a profit. And James learned well from his half-brother Jesus who said, what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. You see, what they said about their plans exposed their, their arrogance. And in their arrogance, in their foolishness, they made three massive presumptions. Three massive presumptions. Let, let's look at each of these. Got these in your notes. James reveals that the primary presumption is believing that they are self-sufficient or sovereignly autonomous. He does this by contrasting what they say with what they ought to have said in verse 15, if the Lord wills, right? But, but their words, their speech revealed that God was nowhere in view in their plan-making process. Making plans without God in view can tempt us to believe that we are the masters of our own destinies. This is the idolatrous belief that we are our own gods. And, and when we buy into this, we show ourselves to be like Adam and Eve before us, snatching the fruit of arrogance, desiring to be like God. You see, the we wills that generate from our hearts and, and flow out of our mouths, the we will marry so-and-so, we will have this job, we, we will move here, we will retire at 65, we will, we will, we will, we will, we will. The we wills are the arrogant presumptions that think that our wills, our desires, our wants, our plans determine what actually comes about. It's as if we believe that we are kings making sovereign decrees. It's the height of arrogance, and it reveals this, this cosmic battle that James is talking about that rages in our hearts. I mean, let, let's have some sobriety. There, there is only one, there's only 
one person that completes their daily to-do tasks each and every day, and it ain't you, and it ain't me. It's God. All right, the next two presumptions stem from this primary presumption. In the first half of verse 14, James rebukes them, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. In their arrogance, they presume they have uh, what I'm calling perfect understanding. In our arrogance, we, we can presumptuously believe that we know what tomorrow brings. John MacArthur reminds us that life is far from simple. It is a complex matrix of forces, people, contingencies, and circumstances over which we have no control. And yet, when we make plans without God in view, the temptation will be to trust in our logic and our ability to forecast what tomorrow brings. Of course, the flaw in this thinking is that we don't even, we don't even really know what the next hour holds, let alone what tomorrow holds. This is foolishness. James calls it arrogance. Listen, when we make even the slightest presumption about tomorrow, we start sliding ourselves into the position of God, the, the only one who knows what tomorrow brings. Third, their third presumption is pointed out in the second half of verse 14. What is your life? Because you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. In their arrogance, they presume a false view of their humanity. So James describes us like a, a mist, a, a vapor. I mean, our, our, our life here is, is temporary. We, we are mortal. But in our arrogance, we, we just bank on being alive tomorrow. That's just, a, that's just a given. But the reality is we're frail. You know, truth be told, this is the same arrogance that crops up in procrastination. Commentator Douglas Moo eloquently says, human life is insubstantial and transitory. Here one minute, gone the next. Illness, accidental death, the return of Christ could cut short our lives just as quickly as the morning sun dissipates the mist, or as a shift in wind direction blows away smoke. We're all going to die. Could be tonight, and tomorrow never comes. We're not so different from those that James was addressing. None of us are unfamiliar with the arrogance that only keeps ourself in view when making plans. So we too are also not unfamiliar with making some of the same foolish presumptions. Let, let's consider ourselves here for a moment. Got some questions. If you, if you say yes to any of these, it was like the red light popping off, indicating that uh, you probably entered into your plans without God in view, or maybe somewhere along the way you started relying on self. Do you cling tightly to your schedule, getting agitated when something doesn't go as planned? Do you struggle, even with sleep, with thoughts of the missed items on your to-do list just kind of running through your head? Can you get frustrated or angry with those who abruptly just interrupt your tightly planned schedule? Do you get anxious and overwhelmed when the interruptions just start piling up one after the other? 
When your plans don't work out like you thought they would, do you feel hopeless or like the, the floor is falling out from underneath of you? When your plans go really, truly bad, do you struggle with bitterness towards God? Any yeses? Any, any, any red lights popping off? If so, your heart, our hearts are being revealed. What we're seeing, at least in part, is that we're not submitting our plans to God. You're battling for control of your plans, and, and now this is a, a takes-one-to-no-one situation here. But when your little kingdom of self is threatened through your plans being interfered with, bad stuff can come out of your hearts, swirl in your minds, and, and even come out of your mouth. If you can relate with me on any of these things, I just want to remind you, as I've been reminding myself, there is there's grace here. There's grace to repent from foolishness, and there is grace to lean into a wiser and better way forward. Look, the Bible commends making plans. James says that there's the foolish way and there's a wise way. Let's talk about the wise way. This is the second point on your notes. Wisdom, humbly making plans in view of God's will. This is verse, verse 15 and 17. Let's reread verse 15. James says, instead of verse 13, <laughs> instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And James tells us that wise Christians strategically make plans while humbly submitting to God's will. In other words, actually make plans, but while humbly acknowledging that our plans will only come about if the Lord wills. When James talks about if the Lord's wills, if the Lord wills, he's talking about God's sovereign, good, gracious, loving, wise, unchanging will of decree. What God wills will happen, and everything that happens is according to God's will. Look, here's the really good news. God always gets his way. That's a good thing. God says in Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10, that he declares the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my plan shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. In Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 through 35, we read God's dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? And the will of God is worked out by God's hand of providence, this is in your notes. The Heidelberg Catechism defines God's providence as God's almighty and ever-present power by which he, as with his hand, still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures and so governs them that leaf and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come not by chance but by his fatherly hand according to the counsel of his will. 
Referring to the outworking of God's will through his invisible hand of providence, Ephesians 1.11 says that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Nothing. Nothing falls outside of God's providence. It's always at work, normally in the background, bringing about his plan. The biblical authors were unashamed in expressing how they lived in light of God's will and his providence working out his will. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord providentially establishes his steps. Paul, as an example, frequently expressed his, his submission to the Lord's will and his providence working it out. Example, here's Acts chapter 18, verse 21. Paul says, but on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. Listen, when we, when we pray and we ask the Lord to guide us, to lead us, to sustain us, to provide, to uphold, we, we are praying for God to providentially act. We, we intuitively understand God's providence. Right? When we love that he acts in such ways. The invisible hand of God, his providence, was a comforting image to the biblical audience. It was with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm that God saved his people from Egyptian slavery. And listen, it's with that same invisible hand that's been actively fulfilling his purpose throughout human history that still reigns over your life. James is calling us to strategically make plans while humbly submitting ourselves to God's will and his hands of providence that works it out. Now this, this acknowledgement, if the Lord wills, isn't some spiritual platitude or, or some glib formula to get what we want, nor is it an expression of fatalism to excuse us from our actions or our laziness. This also doesn't have to be something that is that's actually said verbally, but it does have to be the expression, the, the humble attitude of our hearts that declares dependence upon God. As James says, for our life and for our plans to do this or that. Most of all of us have our to-do lists and schedules, and most of them are, are tightly packed. But if we're humbly submitting to God and his will, then, then we'll hold our plans loosely. And what's more, we'll, we'll see the, inter, uh, the interruptions that, that come our way as divine interruptions from the Lord. Interruptions that even if they don't seem like it are wiser than our plans and better than our plans. In other words, the, the folks who drop into our plans will, will not be seen as hindrances. New events or to-dos that come along our way will not be seen as setbacks, but rather all as divine interruptions, divine gifts revealing God's good and gracious and wise plan for our lives in that moment. Humbly submitting to the Lord's will, it enables us to accept that whatever plans do happen are in fact the Lord's plans. No doubt James had Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21 in mind that says, many, many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Now, submitting our plans to the Lord doesn't mean that we lay aside reason or intentionality. 
The will of God and his providence does not undermine our choices and involvement nor deem them as irrelevant. On the contrary, they give our plans and decisions divine and supernatural purpose and intent. What's more, knowing that God isn't far off, some aloof God just up into the sky, but knowing that he is actually intimately involved in our life should encourage us to make God-honoring decisions, and it should give us confidence that our future is secure. Look, while we often think we know what best, what, what is best, God knows. And as believers, we have the promise that he providentially works all things together for the good of those who love him. God will bring about what is truly best for us. As Charles Spurgeon eloquently said, remember this, had any other condition been better for you than the one in which you are, divine love would have put you there. I don't know about you, but I am so, I'm so thankful that God's plan for my life that God's plan for my life has prevailed even, even over and against my plans that I thought were better. Listen, if you're in the midst of plans gone awry, you don't know what's next, you can't sleep, you're struggling with anxiety or fear or, or depression, know that God's plan for your life is right on track. The, the wheels have not fallen off. His providence never rests nor, nor grows weary. The hand of God is stronger than your hand. It is wiser than your hand. Oh, it was God's hand that parted the sea to make a way for his people where there was no way. And it is God's hand that will still make a way for you where there is seemingly no way. Your father is ever faithful. His plans will take place and his hand is upon you. Paul knew this. This is what gave him hope and the ability to encourage the Philippians in the midst of what was otherwise a despair-filled situation. Here he is, the apostle to the Gentiles. The, the gospel will go, go forth, and, and now he's in prison. Well, I guess it was a nice run. I guess this whole Christian thing is done. Philippians are concerned, and so they, part of what they're writing them is, is asking him, hey, what's the status here? Is this, is this over? And Paul writes them, confident in God's providence, Says to them in Philippians 1, verse 12, Paul says that what has happened to me in my imprisonment has actually served to advance the gospel. Circumstances couldn't thwart God's providence. People couldn't thwart God's providence. God's providence reigned and ruled his plan in view, and the gospel was going forth. Listen, if you are his child, your heavenly father wants you to know, fear not, because I am with you. Be not, be, not, be, to, uh, be not dismayed because I am your God. And, and here's this promised plan that cannot be interrupted. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The last thing that James tells us here is in verse 17. Let's reread it. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him is sin. This is, a principle. this is a principle that could be applied all over the place. James applies it to exactly what he's been saying. And, and so here's the deal. You may not have known it uh, until we actually worked through this passage that there was a foolish way and a wise way about going about making plans. You may not have realized that you could make plans in such a way that would actually be an offense to God because you were leaving him out. 
But, but now you know there's a wise way forward. And so here's the deal. Now that you know, and if you choose to go ahead and make plans without God in view, you're sinning. That's what James is saying. But look, there's grace to make plans while humbly submitting to God's will. So, are there any, are there any uh, potential tangible indications for if we are pursuing our plan making with God in view? I think there's a few. Let me give you some. When you're making plans, are you praying over your plans? When you're making your plans, are you getting wise counsel from other believers about your plans? When you're making your plans, are you humbly checking your motives? In other words, is, is, is God and his glory at the center or are you and what you want? This is just... just just some ways to, to maybe kind of get a bead on where you're at with your plan-making process of whether or not God is in view. Are you praying about your plans? Are you seeking wise biblical counsel from others about your plans? And are you, are you keeping a check on your motives? There's grace to do this. And there's, there's gifts that come along with this. At the very least, there's peace when things do, do not go as we plan. There's hope in the midst of chaos. There's restful sleep at night despite the seemingly unrest in our plans. There's, there's grace to do this, and there are, there are grace gifts that come from doing this as well. All right, let's seek to, to land the plane, as it were. In our plan-making process here, James says that there's a, there's a cosmic battle that rages in our hearts we're either submitting to King Jesus or we are rising up against him, presuming false things about ourselves and getting worked up when things don't go our way. And, and let's be honest, we, we, do, we do a fair share of going the foolish way and making plans. Why? I think if we're being honest... There are times that the core issue is that we do not trust him to have a good and wise plan for us. Right? I mean, there's, there's moments that we arrogantly believe that we know the better way forward. Listen, it's in those moments when we're not humbling ourselves and submitting to God that we're actually committing cosmic treason. We're, we're sinning against King Jesus. We often sinfully mess this thing up and choose foolishness over wisdom, choose, choose our own selfish agendas over God and his kingdom and his glory. So thanks be to God that Jesus perfectly and humbly submitted to God's will. In the end, Jesus humbly prayed, my father, if it be possible, let this cup of wrath pass from me. Yet, yet not as I will, but as you will. Friends, Jesus, Jesus might have wanted other, other plans to occur. But because he humbly submitted to God the Father's will, our salvation was accomplished. Friends, it was the will of God the Father to crush God the Son. In Acts 2 Verses 22 through 24, Peter said, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up 
according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, but God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. (laughs) Because of God's plan and Jesus' humble submission, we now have forgiveness for our sinful treason. And what's more, the same grace that covered our sins is the same grace that now empowers us to say no to foolish planning and yes to God-honoring, righteous planning with God in view. Look, we're not going to do this perfectly. But here's the reality. But there really is, because of Jesus, grace to repent when we mess this thing up. And there's help from Jesus. There's help from Jesus to humbly say, Lord, here's my plans. I think they're right. I think they're honoring to you. I've prayed about them. I've sought biblical counsel from others. I've checked my laws the best I can. So I'm going to move forward, yet not what I will, but as you will. Brothers and sisters, there is grace to go the better way of wisdom. There's grace to do this together. There's grace to strategically make plans while humbly submitting to God's will. Let's pray. God, this is just your kindness on display that this passage would be in our Bibles. These are the type of things that we simply would not know unless you had revealed them to us. Oh, how would we know? How would we know our own foolishness if, unless in your kindness and grace, you you would point these things out? You love us. It's so clear. You don't want us to be in the dark. You not only want us to to come into the light so that we can see what is wrong, but you want to give us grace for change in these areas too. And so we're, we're thankful. Thank you for your gracious revealing of these truths. Thank you for your grace that wants us to apply these truths and live live in the good of them. I pray that you would continue to help those things be so. For the honor of Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen.